For those of you that couldn't hear, she said uh, making friends is easier than eating chocolate. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure about that, but I'd be willing to do some testing to find out uh, which one is easier. How many of you know that really describes what we've been talking about as far as there's no place like home? That's a series we've been talking about where people need to be connected. There's a longing inside of everybody for that sense of home where somebody knows you, you belong somewhere, there's a comfort there. And that's part of what we are as the church. One of the things that we have to offer to the world is that sense of coming home and a place where you can be connected and people can know you and you can know other people. And as we've been going through this series, We actually said, if we are doing this thing called church correctly, people should feel at home here. Those same senses that they feel of, I've got friends, I've got family, I've got a place where I belong. They should be experiencing that here among us. And then uh, last week, we actually said that the us that God is building together is actually far more glorious than the individual me's that he saved to do it with. So we're talking about making this place a home, that there's no place like it where people can come and connect and belong. Uh, I saw a couple of thoughts this week as I was, as I was preparing for the sermon. Uh, I saw this saying, it says, my boss told me to have a good day. So what happens? So I went home. So there, there is a longing in people. They know the place where they can have a good day is at home. So he says, my boss said, have a good day. So I went home. Uh, I saw this other one online and it said, home is wherever my bunch of crazies are. Now, hear me on this. That wasn't meant to be offensive. It's just meant to remind us that every family is unique. How many of you have some unique relatives in your family? Uh, Yeah, uh as soon as I put that up there, I could hear people laughing. They knew what I was talking about. Home is where my group of crazies are, and Russ is taking a picture. He's going to send it to his daughter right now. Um, It really gives us this sense of there is a reason that we're all different, but especially we need to keep those things in mind when we come together as a church. There are going to be, we are all unique. If you think think everybody else is around you is, is crazy, guess what they probably think? Anyway, moving right along from that thought, I think there is something unique. We aren't meant to be uniform. We aren't meant to all be exactly the same. We aren't meant to to think and act and look and dress exactly alike. There is something glorious about coming together in our differences, but there is something about finding a home where we feel like we belong, even among all those differences. And I, I saw a quote this week. It says, your vibe attracts your tribe. Anybody ever see that or think about that? Who you are, you're a couple people waving at me that they, they've seen that. Who you are attracts other people like you, but it doesn't mean that you're all exactly the same. It just means you find a place where you fit, where you feel like I belong here. And uh, what do I mean by our tribe when I'm talking about a church, when I'm talking about us corporately as New Life Fellowship? What do I mean by that? I am part of the Mays family. The Mays family is part of New Life Fellowship. New Life Fellowship is part of the body of Christ. There's something bigger that I'm a part of because I'm connected to all those things. There's, there's a tribe I belong to. The name is Maze, but I'm part of the body of Christ. And New Life Fellowship has its own flavor, its own brand, its own tribe, but we are still part of the body of Christ, what he is building at large in the earth today. And uh, this might be a little bit of a controversial statement in some circles. I've heard, I've actually heard very smart pastors and theologians discuss this at length, but this is where I land on the issue. I think it's very difficult to be a part of 
the church if I'm not part of a church? I'll say that, say that one more time for everybody, and you can process that on your own. I think it's very difficult to be part of the church at large if I'm not a part of a church, if I'm not planted somewhere where somebody knows me. Um, I think it's, it's hard to say that I'm part of the Maze family if I never saw any other mazes. Come on, if, if I went home every night by myself, locked myself in the basement, never talked to my kids, never talked to my wife, how much could I really say that I belong and I'm a part of the Mays family if I never talked to any other mazes? Does that make sense to everybody? Very similar in a church setting, I think you can be a Christian at home on your couch and believe in Jesus and love him, but it's very difficult to say I am part of the church if I'm not connected to the church in any way, shape, or fashion. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians, and this is part of where the debate comes in. I've heard people talk back and forth about this. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes to them, he says, you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. So we read that verse, and we think, this is great. Everybody's a part of the body of Christ, and that is true to some extent. If you are a Christian, you are a part of Jesus. He's put his spirit, his nature inside of you. But when Paul's writing that specific verse, he's writing a letter to the church that met in Corinth. And he's writing to the individual people there that were part of the church at Corinth, like saying we're part of the church at New Life Fellowship. And he was reminding them that you are part of this church. You've been planted there. Paul was writing this letter to, a bun- to address a bunch of issues that they had in the church. And if you read that verse in context, he's actually saying you're part of the body of Christ, if you read the whole chapter, because you are connected somewhere. He's, he's talking about, hey, there's this concept that we are all Christians, but to be part of the body, to really experience the benefits of being a part of the body of Christ, you must be connected. The, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and the ear can't say to the foot, you know, we don't have any need of you. There's something about being connected that gives us life, that causes the body to thrive and to function. He said that every part is valuable, but it's valuable because of the place that it has in the body. I've, I've actually, maybe this is just part of my experience, but I've actually met people before. They say, well, you know, we believe we're the eyes of the body of Christ because we're prophetic and we can see what God is doing. I'm glad you have that gift. But to really make sense and to be in context, my eyes need to be properly situated right here in the middle of my face about an inch apart. Otherwise, it's out of balance. It's out of whack. It's hideous. What if, what if the eyes were just floating around on the front seat down there? There is something about the part that we are in the body has value and gets life when it's connected in the right place in the body. Uh, in the Old Testament, it worked this way. If you, if you read throughout the Old Testament, there were a bunch of lists of people. How many of you have skipped over those lists in your Bible reading time? Yeah, lots of hands. I, it's, you start out with these great intentions in January. I'm going to read through the whole Bible in a year, and then about mid-March, you get to Numbers. And you're like, oh, do we need to put all these in there? There's a whole bunch of lists in the Bible. Why are they in there? Because they were the people of God. And, and what God was putting them in there before is they were listed by name. They were individuals who he loved, but corporately they were part of a family. They were part of a clan. They were part of a tribe. They were part of the people of God. They got an identity. They had their individual identity, but what gave them purpose in the earth, what gave, made them a light to the nations was being connected to one another and being the people of God corporately. 
They each had their tribe that made up Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament. And that's part of the way it works. I'm part of the Maze tribe, but I am part of New Life Fellowship. And I'm part of the body of Christ at large in the earth today. And he's making us corporately a light to the nations. We need to be connected to our tribe. And there was something unique. If you study out the tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, they all had their own individual functions. There were Levites that ministered in the temple and they carried the Ark of the Covenant. They had a specific job. There were people that were meant to be warriors. There were people that were meant to be the farmers in the land. Each tribe had a specific bent and a specific feel about who they were and how they were connected to the people of God at large. And it's very similar in the church today in in the world, not just in the Western world, but in the church in the world, not just New Life Fellowship, it's very similar. Each church has a different feel and a different flavor and a different place where people can feel at home and connect, and that's okay. I, I recognize fully that New Life Fellowship is not everybody's cup of tea. Come on. Have you, <laughs> I'm, I think, I love it here. I think we've got one of the best churches going, but I recognize that we're not everybody's cup of tea. If, if you are a throwback Pentecostal, if that's your thing, you want to wear a suit and tie on Sunday morning and want me to shout and spit and get my handkerchief out and dab my head, it's not going to happen here. You, there are, there, there, somebody wants that. Can I get an amen this morning? I could get my voice on. We could go there. I could get a little jerk in my leg while we're preaching. That's not me. But there are people that love that. And there's a tribe for them that they need to find and connect to. If, if, you, want, if you want me to be a, a soy latte drinking, skinny jeans wearing metro pastor, it's probably not going to happen here either. I, honestly, I would love to be able to fit in some skinny jeans. But... That ship has sailed a long time ago. And uh, I, I can't grow the, the beard and the hair anymore. So like, like the hipster, hippie, commune vibe, that's not going to be us. But there's a tribe out there for people that that resonates with. And that's okay. They can be like that. If you're looking for high church... <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I said high church, and what flashed in my mind is Pam, Pam went and, and helped Pauline and Lori yesterday with a pro-life booth at a, at a community fair, and where they had positioned the pro-life booth was right next to the marijuana legalization in Pennsylvania booth. <laughs> I don't know who made the booth assignments, but I don't, and I don't know why that popped in my head when I said if you're looking for high church. I didn't mean that kind of high church. But if... <laughs> If you're looking for candles and and robes and Gregorian chants and those things, this is not the place for you either. Although I have thought about trying the robe because it's basically like a big muumuu and it would be comfortable and have airflow. But there there is a specific feel that we have at New Life Fellowship that resonates with the people who come here and find a home. If, if you want to go to a church that's, that's casual and welcoming and embracing of all people who walk through the door, if you want to go to a church that loves to worship Jesus and believes that his presence is here when we come together, if you want to go to a church where food is important, yeah, there's, there's my pictures. You know, here's, I got to tell you behind the scenes, I actually was going to like get a little picture of my head and crop it in on each one of those guys. <laughs> And, and Pam saved me because she walked through. She's like, what are you doing? She saw me working on the, the slides last night. 
And so reason grabbed hold of me and pulled me back down. But, but none of those are our vibe, but who we are is, is, is we're worship, we're welcoming. If you love food, you're probably going to get a lot of that here at New Life Fellowship because that's part of being welcoming and being a family. If you love to have some creativity in what's going on with worship, with the wall out there, with the painting that happens during, during worship, there's all kinds of places for you to have an outlet for that. If you want to demystify what it means to be supernatural, and, and believe that that could be a part of my regular everyday life, of living like Jesus, seeing the miraculous happen while I'm loving people and living my life, then this is probably a place for you. This is a place where you're going to feel at home and you're going to feel welcomed. And, and I say all that to say we need to be connected somewhere. There, there is a place, I don't, I don't care if it's here at New Life or if it's, if it's down the hill at the Methodist Church or if it's over at the Catholic Church at St. Barbara's, wherever it is, we need to be planted somewhere. Because part of one of the biggest benefits to being planted is we get to deal with our stuff. Anybody ever think that was a benefit when you're looking for a church home and you're thinking, oh, this is great, I'll get to deal with all my stuff if I go there. It doesn't sound like a benefit on the surface, but it really is. Because Jesus wants us to grow and to look exactly like him. And that doesn't happen if we're not in a place where we can deal with our stuff. If, if, you're, if you're at home on your couch, how are you ever going to know if you're growing in the fruit of the Spirit, if, you, if nobody's ever rubbing you the wrong way where you get a test of, am I being kind? Am I being patient? Am I acting loving towards people? That happens all the time here. <laughs> and I got an amen from half the group. Uh, and don't worry, in the natural, in a church, every family has stuff. It's, it's okay. If, the only perfect church is the church where you don't know anybody. You think, there, there's a reason they use the term perfect strangers. Oh, these people are great. Like, this is the church for me. And then you get to know them after a couple of weeks, and you're like, oh, these people have the same issues as where I went before. The, the only place that doesn't have stuff, I think, is after you're dead and you're in heaven with the family of God at large. Then you won't have any stuff. But here on earth, your natural family, your spiritual family, there's going to be stuff. And we get to deal with it. We get to grow together. We get to value the relationships we have with one another. In the, in the natural, I see it all the time. People don't like their family. Uh, when you were a kid, is anybody old enough still that you put the stick with the, you folded up the tablecloth and tied it with your, your belongings and you told your parents you were going to run away? Did anybody ever do that? Like, in the natural, that happens all the time. As soon as stuff gets hard... The natural tendency is I'm going to run away. I don't have to deal with this. I don't, these, these relationships are too hard. This is too stressful. I'm just going to leave and go somewhere else. People do that in churches too. And as Christians, we're called not to run, but to deal with our stuff with one another because the relationships that Jesus wants to put in our lives and the growth that he wants to happen in us is far more valuable than my own feelings and emotions of, hey, I, I didn't like what that person said to me or how they looked at me. That is a great amen or ouch point. Whichever one you want to say it is great. <laughs> uh, so how do you react to stuff in your family? How do you deal with it without running away if that's what we're supposed to do? And I think family stuff, family issues, they, they come across a whole spectrum of, of things that happen in your life. It goes all the way, I put a little gauge up here on the next screen. It, it goes all the way from just plain, oh, we disagreed. You know, I, I, Pam and I all the time, we, we, we see this one a lot in our family. Hey, I, I think we ought to go here and we ought to go here. I think this is the way we should do it. You know, that's okay. There's nothing sinful 
There's nothing necessarily unhealthy about disagreements. It just means I have an opinion, you have an opinion. We got to figure out something to do about it. If we don't deal with our disagreements in a healthy way, though, they begin to escalate into arguments. And it begins to divide and fracture the relationships. And ultimately, what happens if we don't address those things? It goes over to dysfunction. You know, no, nobody wants to admit their family is dysfunctional. What, is, what does that mean? It's, such, it's a word that like all these bells and alarms go off. Dysfunctional. Oh. It simply means something has stopped working. It's not functioning anymore. The relationships aren't healthy. It, in some cases, it could be abuse, destructive behavior, infidelity. There's all kinds of things that are dysfunctional. But it starts from, hey, how are we managing our disagreements and the little things in our families? And this at church is where we get an opportunity to do those things. And I think if we have differences and disagreements, do you know that's actually healthy? I would, it would, it would be scary if we were in, if this was a groupthink place and we all looked and acted and conformed exactly the same and there was no room for any diversity of opinion. That's a scary place to be at. In, in fact, uh, that's, Honestly, that's how there's 33,000 plus different denominations in the world today because they thought, hey, we've got to agree on everything. Disagreements give an opportunity for unity to flourish. And I think that's, that gives more glory to God than us coming in lockstep and just agreeing, oh, we should do it this way and these people should act this way. Instead of that, I think where God gets more glory is, hey, I've got a different opinion than you, but I love you. And we're part of the same family and we're on the same team and Jesus is what unites us and what's important. And when he does that, come on, behind the scenes, if you pull back the curtain to eternity, behind the scenes, you see worship going on in heaven in the book of Revelation. What's around God's throne? People from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It doesn't say people that look exactly the same and they're only one set of people or they only came from the United States. Come on. It says there's people there. What gives him glory is all those people surrounding his throne in unity. Because he is the one that's more important than any of the differences that we have. So how do you deal with those things? Uh, Just a couple tips for you this morning as we look at that list. Uh, When we handle disagreements with each other, we need to learn that there aren't winners and losers. Come on, I, I think... I'm, I'm guilty. I'll be the first one to admit this. When I, when I start talking with Pam, something in me rises up that I need to be right. Is it just me or is anybody else in that boat? I, I can see like a bunch of the spouses looking at each other like, uh-huh, he's talking to you. And the other spouse is thinking, no, he's talking to you. I don't know what that is, but there's something in human nature that just comes up in me and I'm like, I got to win this argument. I got to be right. And right there I've lost. Because anytime I feel the need to win every time, that means somebody's going to lose every time. And that's not God's will for us, for us to divide ourselves into winners and losers. And, and, and if, where it escalates, where it gets really unhealthy, is I go get Steve and Dottie, tell them my side of the story and get them on my team and say, hey, I'm right, right? Pam, Pam has no idea what she's talking about. See, Dottie's not in her head. <laughs> she agrees with me. Come on, that's, that's how it escalates that easily. I, I had a disagreement and I felt all of a sudden I got to win, I got to be right, so I get everybody on my side and the next thing it's gone to argument and then it's on its way to dysfunction. We need to realize there's, there's not winners and losers. There's just sometimes there are differences. Come on, there, there are things, as, as a pastor, there are things I will fight you about. 
Like if, if you come and say, hey, you know, there's some other way to the Father except Jesus, or that he wasn't really God, like those are, yeah, I am not going to say that's a difference I can live with. But there are other things of, hey, I, I raise my kid this way and you raise your kid that way. Hey, there's room for all types of that in the church. Differences are okay because it gives opportunity for unity. That's what I'm going to say about that. We don't always have to be right. We don't always have to win. How about we focus on what we do agree on? How many of you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for us so that we could be united with the Father? Like, let's focus on that stuff instead of the stuff that divides us and see what happens when the power of unity is released, what we can really get done in the earth today. And there's, I love people that can have healthy discussions about differences without dividing over them. So uh, there, was, there was a time in the Bible, you can go back and read this story later, uh, in Acts chapter 15, there were a bunch of Gentiles that started getting saved. Paul and Barnabas had gone on this wildly successful mission trip, and they saw people from all nations begin to come and respond to the gospel. And as they were seeing that response, some of the people in the church had a disagreement. There were some Jews there that said, hey, we got saved, and we think those new guys getting saved should keep the law of Moses. They need to be circumcised. They need to keep these holy days. They need to do all these other things. And a disagreement happened in the church. Acts 15, you can go read it. And so in light of this, they said, you know what? We need to figure out how to resolve this disagreement in a healthy way. So it says the church got together and they decided to send Paul and Barnabas and some others up to Jerusalem to go talk to the apostles there and say, hey, could you give us some advice? Do you know it's okay to ask somebody else to help you manage your disagreements? They're, they're, it's okay to have somebody come in and mediate and say, hey, let me help you work through this. So that's what they did. They went to Jerusalem. The guys talked about it. James stood up and said, hey, here's what we've decided. We're going to write you a letter and send it back to the guys. They don't have to keep the whole law. They just got to not eat this meat and not do these other things. And they said, go ahead back and read them this letter. And Paul and Barnabas went back to Antioch. And it says when they read the letter... To the people, they rejoiced. The, the people rejoiced because they saw an example of, hey, we had this disagreement, we couldn't resolve it, what was going on, and before it got to a major argument, we headed it off, and we're still walking in unity and love with each other. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way we see it come in the body of Christ where there's health and people can continue to walk together. And if we don't hand, handle our disagreements in a proactive manner like that, it begins to escalate. And sometimes, even after we get it right, maybe you know there's more than one opportunity. Man, if, if I only had to pass that test one time, I'd be like, yes! You know, 10 years ago, Pam and I had a disagreement, and it worked out wonderfully, and we've never had another one. If, if you could say that, we're going to sign you up to, to lead marriage counseling. If... That, that one time, 20 years ago, we had a disagreement, and it's never happened again. Um, even Paul and Barnabas, after they managed this disagreement and, and they did it well, just a couple verses later, guess what happens? Paul and Barnabas said, hey, we've had so much success here. We've ministered. Let's go on another trip. We're going to take a mission trip. And Barnabas says, hey, I'd like to take my nephew Mark with us. Sounds innocent enough, right? Hey, let's just take our friend with us. Paul says, hey, Mark ran off and left us when we were working on our mission trip earlier. He's not reliable. I don't want to take him on the trip with us. Come on, these guys that they they just resolved this major doctrinal issue in the church that could have divided the whole church, and all of a sudden they get tripped up on, 
hey, let's take my nephew with us. And this is what it actually says in Acts chapter 15, verse 39. It says, come on, these are the apostles of God. You know, the men that you're counting on to lead the the effort. And it says they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Come on, how we handle disagreements is important, and we always have to be on our guard because we, we think, oh, we're celebrating this great victory we had, and we get tripped up by a little thing. And it says, they had, come on, imagine this with me. Just picture these two great men of God. It would be, it would be like, hey, the, whatever TV personality or whatever pastor, man of God, you really respect two people, and, and picture them arguing about something small in the parking lot after church on Sunday. And they, they have such a sharp disagreement over it that they don't even ride home together in the same car. That's what happened to Paul and Barnabas. And I think when we handle arguments, because you can still de-escalate your argument, and it can, there can still be unity, there can still be an opportunity not to divide and go our separate ways. Uh, when we handle arguments, I think one of the things that's helped me is I realize that people generally, they're not against me, they're just for themselves. Have you ever experienced that? We, sometimes we go around, we forget, we think, oh, everybody's out to get me, the world's against me. You know, Paul and Barnabas could have said, oh, you know, they're they forcing me to take Mark on the trip and everybody's against me. You know, people aren't against you. Normally, they're, they're just for themselves. And sometimes that creates arguments and disagreements and we can't get along with each other. But when I stop and realize, you know what? That person's not really attacking me. They're just for themselves. They have a different agenda than I do. It helps me begin to process and to see things from their point of view. We can't let arguments escalate to dysfunction. And if there was ever a place where we needed to learn how to deal with our differences and how to deal with arguments, I think it's here in the body of Christ. I think we, we have an obligation to show the world how people can walk together. I don't think there's a government program that can do it. I don't think there's enough money in the world to make it happen. But when Jesus gets involved in the mix... We have an opportunity to show the world something truly unique, that we can walk together in unity. In fact, Paul realized this so much that later in in the book of Colossians, uh, he's working with John Mark again. And he he actually sends a letter in his greetings. He says, hey, when John Mark comes to visit you, I've I've already told you how to handle him. Welcome him and embrace him. He's been a great help to me. Come on, the, the very person that caused his disagreement with Barnabas he realized at some point, Paul had this epiphany, we're going to have to work together again. We're, we're evangelizing the whole world. That's a pretty big job. We need to be together. Everybody, all hands on deck. And at some point, it doesn't say exactly when in the narrative it happened, but at some point, Paul and Barnabas mended their fences. And to the point where Paul actually had John Mark with him and said, hey, he's, he's been a help to me. Greet him and embrace him for me when he comes to see you. There's something about Jesus in the mix and the church that we're called to work through those things. And if we don't deal with arguments, they obviously lead to dysfunction. And I, I don't want to specifically deal with dysfunction this morning because I think there's so many aspects of it that it's, it's too broad of a brush to give it a simple Sunday morning answer. I think there are various levels of dysfunction that if you find yourself in a broken relationship, if you find yourself in a, in a home or an environment where this is, this is actually toxic, I, I don't know what to do about this, talk to somebody. Get, start in the church. Talk with a life group leader. Talk with somebody sitting next to you. Answer that phone and tell them, hey, I'd, I'd love to talk to you right now. Uh, whatever it is, don't just stuff it 
and sit on it and say, well, this will go away if I bury my head in the sand and ignore it. It will resolve itself. You know, that never happens. Well, I'm not going to say never, but 99.9% of the time when we bury our head in the sands and we don't address dysfunctional things, they don't go away. In fact, they most often just get worse. And, And the dysfunction just goes further and further down where you eventually get to a point of, this is hopeless. And I, mean, and I know as Christians, we're not supposed to say that because Jesus is our hope. And whenever he's involved, there's always hope. But we get to a point where we say, this is hopeless. It'll never work itself out. Uh, I do think at the root of all dysfunction, there's, there's sin in there somewhere that, that has been empowered and, and caused breakage and death to, to be empowered in our lives. And it's not always your sin or my sin. It, it could be because there are other people involved. Anytime there's family, anytime there's relationships, there's other people that have a mind, will, and emotions. And it could be something they've done that, that you didn't do at all that's caused the relationship to break. But you need to resolve it. You need to talk with somebody and figure out, how can I get Jesus in the middle of this to see something supernatural happen that I never thought was going to happen? Don't, don't ignore it. That's the worst thing you could do. Because I, I saw this quote, and this made me think of that. It says, uh, this was an anonymous quote. It says, if you don't heal what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. And I thought, man, there is some truth to that, that we carry these hurts and these wounds. And if, we're not, if we don't ever deal with them, if we don't ever resolve it, we begin to see dysfunction come in the other relationships that we have in our lives because we haven't dealt with where we've been hurt in the first place. I don't, if, if you're thinking of relationships and, and things that are dysfunctional right now, uh, I just, God, just help. God, we ask that you would come in the middle of our stuff that's so broken that it needs your help and your intervention. Lord, do something miraculous in our lives. God, help us not to carry the, the woundedness and the hurt and the pain of those situations, but let us see your hope and your life that you want to bring into it. So that, that's the action point that I have for us this week is... is who do I know that needs me to tell them how much I love them and value them? And you're like, what's that got to do with dysfunction and arguments and disagreements? When you do that, you're repairing and mending. You're doing the same thing that Jesus did. He's a reconciler. He's a restorer. And the way he does that is he begins to remind people, man, you're valuable. You're loved. There's, there's hope. There's purpose and destiny in you. This this relationship is so valuable to me that I don't want it to go on like it is right now. When you do that, we're actually dealing with our stuff and we're having an opportunity for Jesus to get glory. I, some of the strongest testimonies in this room and, and in the church at large are times when people said, man, I hated this person. And Jesus came and did something about it that healed this relationship and it's stronger today than it's ever been. Those are powerful testimonies and those are things that only happen with Jesus getting involved in the middle of it. Who do I need? Who do I know this week that needs me to just tell them, I value you, our relationship is important. And it, please don't let it be somebody that, hey, we get along great. We're the best friends. I'm going to go tell him he's valuable to me because it's easy. I'm, I'm talking about where is there stuff in my life that that relationship's been strained and stressed and I need to approach it and say, man, this relationship's more valuable to me than the stuff that caused it. You've got that mic. Do you want to come say something? We didn't say it officially earlier, but this is Pastor Pam, so if you're signing up for the women's oh, conference, yeah. this is who you need to see after. I was just thinking of a story, and I think I've shared it before, but, <clears throat> you know, we have this neighbor, had this neighbor in our old neighborhood, and 
there was an occurrence, Silas, our son was about, I don't even know what grade, what, like five or six years, seven years ago, I don't know. So he was like eighth grade, and there's a neighbor, her daughter was like fourth grade. She's like four years younger, maybe even younger than that. And they're playing in the neighborhood, may, had to be younger than that. They're playing in the neighborhood. She had one of those Jeep things, you know how kids have all those Jeep things? I think Silas around. was 18 when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was much younger, but they're playing in the neighborhood, and this mom had kind of a reputation for, for being a yeller out in the neighborhood. I don't know if you guys know people like that. but um, So she, she definitely let her voice be heard. And this particular day, I knew that Silas and this girl and a couple other kids were playing in the neighborhood. Next thing I know, I hear her yelling. And, you know, she, I, finally I hear her say, you get off of that thing and you're never playing with Silas again. And I went, oh, Lord, what do you do? You know, like my first thing is, oh, my gosh, what's all this do? What happened? I'm going to go beat him. You know, I'm going to take care of him, whatever. I kind of jumped to that. But then the, the mama in me also was like, okay, what's going on? Let me take care of my boy. And so, you know, I call him in, and I'm like, what's going on? And, you know, tell me what's happening. I don't know. I don't really even know really the situation. But I guess he was like, I'm going to take the Jeep. And she, they were all taking turns with it. She let him have a turn driving, and he took a turn out of turn. And so he's driving the Jeep, and she wanted it back. And she's like, give me my Jeep back. And he was like, no, I'm driving it. You know, whatever. So they were definitely younger than eighth grade. It's Silas lived. It's true. <laughs> I'm sorry to say all of that, just to kind of give you a background. But the point is, you know, I'm like, this is so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that mom would say, get in the house. You're never playing with him again. You're never playing with those kids again. And like that sat on me for a little while, you know, and I'm just like, I don't want, I don't want that to be here. We're neighbors. These kids are going to grow up. They're going to play. And what I also will say is I know about her that there is a line between her house and the people beside her that they intentionally put up of trees and whatever because they don't speak to each other. And so that was like right after we moved in, we heard all that. And I'm like, we're not going to let that happen. God, you show us what to do. And so, you know, I did it. I just got up my courage and I went over, knocked on her door a little while later. And I was like, you know, I just want to, can I just chat with you for a minute? Can we just like stop and think about what happened? I'm so sorry. Brought Silas over with me. I'm so sorry. Whatever happened earlier. But, you know, would you be willing to give him a second chance? I, I literally, you know, said those words. Would you be willing to give Silas a second chance? And, you know, I said, I know whatever he did, I'm sorry for what he did to your daughter. And, of course, he apologized. And I said, we're going to be neighbors. They're going to be growing up. I would love for us to be, you know, able to have a great relationship as neighbors. Are you willing? And she was like, you know, it was like you could just see the walls come down. And she said, you know what, I'm willing to give him another chance. And that literally was so long ago, I can't even tell you. But what has transpired since that time is she and one other mom in our neighborhood, the three of us get together on a regular basis and go have breakfast and share stories about our kids, the three of our kids and how they've grown up and what you know, what really is happening in their lives and in their worlds. And we borrowed stuff and, you know, I need an egg. Do you have sugar? I need vanilla, all that stuff. And they've cheered, we've cheered each other's kids on. And so I just felt like that was all worth saying that, you know, we don't, you know, just get past whatever it is that keeps us out of relationship and be willing to give a second chance. Be willing to even be the one that's humble. I, you know, I, I wanted to beat him up, but, you know, God knows how to love past those things because sometimes people want to beat me up. Truly, I don't do everything right, but when we choose, right, when we choose to lay that down and say, you know what, 
I'm so sorry. Can you please give me a second chance? Watch what God will do. So anyway, yeah. I am not answering that question in any way, shape, or form. Oh, let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to pray before we go today. Oh, there, <laughs> that's like a... There's, there's no way to answer that question. Like, hey, we're having a disagreement because you think... Nah. All I know is people are valuable. And, and the relationships that we have... Yeah, there's a reason in Scripture that Paul addresses Christians and says, as far as it concerns you, live at peace with everyone. And he doesn't put that on the people in the world. or the pe- he's, he's putting that on us as believers. As far as it depends on us, live at peace with everyone. So I think in, in the equation of all the people in the world, it's incumbent upon us as believers to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to let those people know they're valuable to me and they're valuable to the Lord. And we're going to get our stuff out of the way. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We thank you for your love in our lives. We thank you for your relationship with us. God, what an amazing length you went to to have a relationship with us. Jesus, we're so grateful for the cross and what you did to make a way back to the Father for us. God, I ask that you would help us reflect that to the people in our lives. Uh, Lord, bring to our mind today, this week, relationships where there's stuff that we need to deal with. And God, I ask right now for the, the grace and the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom to help us deal with those situations. Lord, let our words be laced with love. Let, let our words, even as Pam shared that picture, that let our words cause walls to go down, cause defenses to be disarmed, and, and cause the love of Jesus to penetrate into that situation. Lord, I thank you that there is no, <laughs> there is nothing that's hopeless when you get involved. There's nothing impossible. There's no relationship that's too far gone. God, I ask for strength and grace for your people. I ask for uh, the, the relationships we have and the way we conduct ourselves to be part of our witness to the world. That people would look at our lives and say, what's different about your life that causes your relationships to go so well? And God, uh, I just thank you for second chances. Even as we heard in that story, that that you give us second chances with our relationship with you, with our relationships with each other. Lord, help us to conduct ourselves well and to represent you well to the world. God, I bless your people right now. Thank you for your goodness being manifested in our lives, uh, for your mercy being something that stirs us to talk about all the time, and for your favor. God, just let your favor be upon us in the things that we put our hands to so that Jesus would be glorified in our lives. We just honor you today. We thank you for your presence in this place and with us as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.